Brits and Cures with Lindy Burns, lawyer Bill O'Shea and psychiatrist Dr Steve Allen. Welcome to another episode of Ritz and Cures, and I'm very pleased to say that Bill O'Shea has returned to us. Hello, Bill. It's lovely to see Hi, you. Hi, Lindy. Good to be back. It's nice to have you here. And uh, Steve Allen has uh, been away for a couple of weeks himself, but he's returned too. Hello, Steve. Yeah, I've returned. Hi, Lindy. Uh, it's nice to have you here. It's nice to be here. Steve is a psychiatrist. He works at the Penn McCallum Cancer Centre, and Bill is a Melbourne lawyer. In Soapbox tonight... We're talking about the workplace party season. Well, we're not really because we tend to talk about that this time every single year, do we not? But we're talking about mostly about what happened recently in the High Court in London. And this, of course, came about uh, at at a time of increased interest and rightly so about what is and isn't appropriate behaviour between um, between adults and indeed some cases minors in a workplace environment. I guess with the allegations that have been made against people like Harvey Weinstein and now numerous others in the entertainment industry, just what are the rules for flirting at work and when do, does that behaviour cross the line? Is flirting still okay or has it become totally taboo? Help is at hand because of the High Court in London. I don't think I would ever, I didn't think I would ever say those words, but yes, Mr. Justice Maloney has laid down the rules for acceptable flirting at work. He did so in the High Court in London last week. Bill, what the hell's going on here? Is this, is this, overstep- is this overstepping the. Well, I, I'm all for supporting the judiciary, but not in this case. Um, well, um, what's. Yeah, this case is about a, uh, a psychologist who worked for the National Health Service. And when we say the High Court, we're not talking about the Australian High Court, we're talking about the UK High Court. Which is the equivalent to what here? Uh, Supreme Court okay. of Victoria. Yep. Um, so we've got a, a female woman psychologist and a male security manager. They're both at a similar level of uh, uh, seniority. He was a contractor and she was an employee, not that that matters. And um, they had been corresponding over various issues. I don't know why the psychologist was corresponding with the security company, but nevertheless, they were. And in that correspondence, um, some of the text messages involved um, her calling him Hun, H-O-N, not H-U-N, calling him Hun, uh, as in honey. Mm -hmm. And he then, he was calling her Poshy because she happened to live in an upmarket suburb. Um, so he called her Poshy. So they had nicknames for each other. Um, and so then they, off they went to dinner. And after dinner, uh, he put his arm around her and said to her, he would like it if they could be more than just colleagues. Yeah. Okay. So that was, now there's no claim from, by her at all. She's not brought any action, but she did go back and tell her, if, and she rejected the proposal. So, okay, um, okay, we'll come back in a moment to have this ended up in court. So she rejected the proposal, but she went back and told all her friends about it that he'd made a pass at her after dinner, and he heard about this, and he basically sued her for libel. In other words, he said she was blackening his character by telling all her friends in the office that he'd basically come on a bit too strong. Um, uh, after the dinner. And so he sued her for libel, uh, defamation of character, f- essentially. And that's how it got to the High Court. Mm. So the woman didn't bring any claim at all. Um, so so they went to the court and the judge found, number one, there was no libel uh, because what she'd said wasn't particularly damaging at all. And secondly, that his behaviour was 
appropriate. So because his behaviour is appropriate, it's probably very difficult to say that the uh, repeating uh, a description of it could be libelous because it's appropriate behaviour. So the judge said what he did was appropriate. So that led him to reading out what he what everyone has taken up as a guide to flirting at work. And this is, you know, if you don't mind me giving a long monologue, this is what he had to say. And it's only two paragraphs. In my judgment, he said, a reasonable right-thinking member of modern society would not consider it shocking or discreditable for a man at the end of a social evening, alone with a single woman of equal status, whom he found attractive and friendly, to put his arm around her waist and ask her if she would like them to become closer. Provided he did nothing positively indecent and took no for an answer, most right-thinking people would accept this as a normal part of life. So I, rep- I didn't say they were both single, so they were, there was no issue of you know breaking up a marriage or anything else. So that was his definition. Now, if you break that down, it gets a bit tricky. Um, and I won't go on about how you might break it down, but if you look at those requirements that he said that makes it uh, a normal part of life uh, what does it mean you know for oh well I won't I'll talk about that in a minute but then the bluffers guide got into it um, in, in England there's a book called the bluffers guide to etiquette and this fellow um, William Hansen this is for um, the English is stitched up at the best of times the British but anyway he said uh, oh people have to a very heightened awareness of what's acceptable which we all know uh, and he said, but my rec- my suggestion is this. This is what you should say. Now, you know, perhaps you can get a pencil out and write this down. Please, quote, please correct me if I'm wrong, but have I been picking up on some signals that you would like to be more than just a colleague? They actually gave us the <laughs> way in which we should phrase it. from the Bluffers Guide. Yeah. And then if you get a no, then you, don't, you just laugh it off and away you go. And if you want to let someone down nicely, you say, quote, that is so kind of you, but I'm not in the market for a relationship at the moment, but I really value our friendship. So there's a little addition uh, from the etiquette book. Now, is this practical? This honestly sounds like sad. You can put it? your pens down now, by the way. Yeah, well, I was also giggling that you said people can, if you've got a pencil, write it down. These days we tap it into our phone, Bill. <laughs> but uh, I do recall what a pencil was. We used them in primary school. But it does just... Uh, I, look, I, I can see why this, this is all over the media at the moment. I've read articles in The Age in the last week. It's on every online thing. All is a fallout from the... Um, uh, obviously, our terrible behaviour of um, that you know it's been out outed over in the US, in particular from Harvey Weinstein. But um, there's got to be some sort of ba- you know some sort of balance in the workplace between saying work is an absolute no go zone and between and at the far in extreme in terms of trying to yeah, forge a relationship with someone. Yeah, in terms of human behaviour and yeah. the the other extreme sexual harassment. Although you don't, although it always strikes me is whatever your behaviour is, you should have a very comfortable buffer between. The, between your behaviour and sexual harassment. Obviously, you don't want to be playing around in the zone that even raises question of sexual harassment. So taking but, no for an answer is, answers that, doesn't it? If you take no for an answer... It depends you what you're saying no to. It depends how far they've gone before that person has said that's no. That's true. But, I mean, yeah. the key questions are, should you even do it in the workplace? One, first... Well, he's saying no. He's saying at the end of a social evening. Yeah, to try and keep it... Look, I think that's... Whilst not um, always possible, it's it's not a bad guide. Try and keep it out of the workplace. Wait till um, the workplace is over. But absolutely, your behaviour has to be um, posed as a very reasonable question that can be... The other person you can the other person can say no without feeling overly uncomfortable. So it's a Christmas party, a social occasion... 
No, a Christmas party is, is an extension function. of a work function. Right. This is, yeah, that's a key element. So that's no what good. about the status difference? Now, you made a couple yeah. of points that raised, that yeah. um, made me prick my ears up. One, you said they're of equal status. And yeah. two, you said she wasn't, neither of them were married. Yeah. Why is either of those things relevant? Why does it matter if someone's married? A single married? woman of equal status. Why do they have to both be single? Why can't you make a pass at a married person? Well, I mean, some would say that's. Uh, uh, not in society's interest to be breaking up marriages. What about what about evolution and genetic variation? And what about the person you're making the pass <laughs> I'm at? I don't know where you're going the person you're making the pass at in an unhappy marriage? Well, my point being, you know, a, 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 a being in some sort of relation, marriage or some sort of other permanent relationship, I don't see why yeah. marriage is relevant. No, it's not a force field. It doesn't mean I can't come up. You know, like, why can't I come up to you, Bill, and say, Bill, I find you to be an attractive, slightly older man. And uh, I wouldn't mind dating you. Yeah. Uh, you know, what do you mm. think? And, and, have but, I broken but, some rules? We're not of equal status. You're a psychiatrist, <laughs> and I'm just a, a solicitor. Can I read but, something? Why out? is Which status yeah. relevant? Does that mean the boss can't um, in, uh, can't make a pass at a PA? It means the boss can't make a pass at a PA. I think it does mean that. That's what it means. Yeah, but, that's exactly. And that's what, what it about doctors mean? and nurses? Are they equal status? Well, I think I know so many doctors married to nurses. Yeah, I know most. And that's the thing that's always got me. See, I grew up in the hospital era where back in the day we were called residents because we often lived there and the nurses all trained and lived in the hospital. And so of all my mates, I'd say about a third of them um, are married to either doctors or nurses. Because you all work so hard that yeah. you never met anybody else. No. It's completely fine. But as long as you're not, you know, sort of groping at each other in the cupboard, you know, and then going back to the ward. That sometimes happens, but not <sighs> now. Yeah, of course. Here's a text. Lindy, rule number one, try to consider co-workers as a no-go zone. End of story. Number two, if you are unbelievably falling for a co-worker, ask if they would, you know, consider going for a meal or something after work and then talk first. Number three, allow quite a few dates to occur before you even think about invading their space in any way. And if you want to invade their space, talk first. So this is in response to what the judge was talking yeah, about in this I particular case. This with the, with the you know because the original um, approach was made by initiating physical contact. Yeah, hand around the waist. Hand around the waist. Mm. Now I, it's my understanding, and I am in no way an expert in this, but I think particularly. In now in the 21st century, or even when I was younger and single, that you you, you do not make, you don't make the physical contact your first point of um, call. Let's say, but, but, but this you man know? wasn't criticised for putting his hand around her waist. This is where the judge he I said feel that was is okay. Wrong. Now the the foreign the minister for for defence in the UK has just resigned for putting his hand on a woman's knee. I think, well, I think, it, you know, it's a case-by-case case basis. I think it's hard to say Is there's hard and fast rules. Is a worse than a waist? You know, if you put your arm on, your arm on, for example, reach out and put it on someone's shoulder. Now, I do that every day talking to people. Um, I t- tap them on the shoulder. I say, hi, how are you? And I go, pat, pat, pat on the shoulder as I say it. Mind you, I don't do it to women now that I think of it. I tend to, because I'm, I'm, anxious, I'm careful about those sorts are of things. Are there a lot of people with bruised shoulders at Peter Mac? I'm not that around? strong, notice. It's all about <laughs> intent. You know, a person could do something, a person could shake my hand and then give it like a little squeeze yeah. at the end that makes my, my you know, awareness go, no, that's taking that too far. Mm-hmm. But a person who, who, one of you two, could, could see me and, and put your arm around my shoulders and give me a squeeze and say, I haven't seen you for ages, it's great yep. to see you, completely fine. See, it's about intent. What is the reason mm. why you are, you are making that move? Yes, and it's about respect. 
respecting the feelings of the other exactly. and being and, and, aware of it. And the man from the Bluffers Guide to Etiquette at the end uh, talked about manners, and he said man- manners... No one uses the word manners anymore. It's like a pencil. Manners are about considering other people's feelings, so don't make them feel silly. Now, manners are really... Gen X and Gen Y never talk about manners. I mean, when I was growing up, I found a a boy's guide to manners among my mum's papers. Obviously, I had it when I was at school. You can tell I'm such a well-mannered person. But no one teaches manners anymore. No. It's not a thing. Whereas it's... when I was your age, I found a book called The Student's Guide to Sex on Campus, <laughs> and it was the best thing I'd ever found in my life. But still a very That's, different that approach. That is the title. It's, it's a very different approach. Yeah, like manners are relevant to driving. They're relevant to how you behave you know, in a crowded area yeah. like the street, uh, what you do in a crowded public transport vehicle. Do you know what manners. it is? It's about looking at the world from the perspective of somebody yeah, other than yourself. Exactly, yeah. And, and this, this comes is, back to manners, doesn't it? It, do, it totally does. But it also comes back to... and. and We've seen a, a number of the, the the men who have had to make public apologies in the United States as a result and own up to some behaviour that they're obviously quite ashamed about, uh, those who have chosen to go that path. Um, but inevitably the line something like, and I now have a totally new respect for women and the lives that they've had to lead. Or I, I understand now that women have not had the, the best experience. I thought that, you know, it was consensual, blah, blah, blah. All those comments scream to me, uh, I had no idea about anybody else's feelings in any of this other than my own. And only now, X years later, am I realising that they were deeply uncomfortable, feeling really put upon by, etc. I mean, mean, in the most horrific cases where it's actual sexual sexual assault, if you didn't know that you were doing that at the time, there's something seriously wrong. Mm. But those who who have had um, have been accused of harassment, and perhaps in their strange minds, they're thinking to themselves, "What I did was completely fine." But the bottom line was, they never thought once about how is this being um, being uh, absorbed by the person that I am dealing with. And also, interestingly, you know, a lot of the criticism that I've seen come out about this is also that the narrative is constantly about what is it okay and not okay for men to do in the workplace, rather than what is, you know, the the other narrative, which seems to be being overlooked, I keep hearing, which is that how do you make a workplace comfortable for both genders? Um, so not just what's it okay, not okay for a guy to do. How do you make it um, completely comfortable for both genders? How do you, you know, so it's not about well, for the how do we gender. not break the laws? How do we work in an environment where it, it, we're all respectful to each other, no matter what our differences are, whether it's gender, disability, um, status, whatever? It yeah. doesn't have to be different genders. You can have same genders attracted to each other. I mean, it's, it's how much does it intrude into the workplace? That's So the let issue. me throw a curve And I think Lindy's point about thinking about the other people. The, the manners argument is almost the best one to look at. Put yourself in the other person's shoes. Is this something that that you would want to happen to you? For example, if they say no, do you really persist? The answer probably is no. Oh, you don't definitely persist. No. Definitely yeah. not. What about then, here's the curveball, because this is the tricky one, of course, and it's the Christmas party link. When you've got a few drinks on board, it's incredibly hard. You know, uh, this is all relatively straightforward and easy when we're in the workplace and we're completely sober. What happens when we've got a few drinks on board and we're at the Christmas party? Well, you're still How in the are the rules the same yeah, or different? As Lindy said before, you're still in the workplace. Uh, when you're at the Christmas party, you're in the workplace. And Even indeed, if you're down at the, the pub, is, I just want to be completely the clear. The boss is still responsible for yeah. what's going on. So the boss had better make sure, or the company better make sure, 
that there are strict rules around what's going on and that there it is. But that how those do you do that? How do you do that? Well, so here's the, the Christmas alcohol. party. You limit the alcohol. But you what provide. if it's a, but let me stop you there for one second because how do you limit the alcohol? Because, for example, I work in a hospital. We're not allowed to provide alcohol. So we'll have our Christmas functions at a pub and we can provide food, but people have to buy their own alcohol. So yeah. what do I go up to and say, you're only allowed to spend $20 tonight of yeah, your own yeah, money? You publish guidelines beforehand oh, and I just say find that, that you, you stay under 05. If you See, come my, to the party, you stay under 0.05. That's not practical. My rules for the Christmas party are basically set a start and an end time, so it's clear when the party ends and you're on your own after 10pm or whatever. Two, be considerate of issues like transport and stuff. If someone looks very drunk, be careful. And three, help staff understand that a work party is an extension of work. So any behaviour you do, no matter whether it's affected by alcohol or not, will be judged according to work standards. So the same rules of manners and everything that we applied. But you can't actually tell them what to do. You have to remind them that it's an extension of the workplace. If you've got a 17-year-old junior or an 18-year-old junior and you're serving alcohol, you've got a big problem as an employer. I agree. Serving alcohol is tricky. We, we, we're lucky we can't give, well, give alcohol. Ha- but, not, but a lot of people do. I think we've kind of gone off track slightly here because I, I want to come back to the whole idea of what is acceptable flirting and what is not acceptable flirting. There's an interesting – I've got a couple of texts. In fact, a number of people are talking about flirting. A text that says, if I didn't flirt with the, my love, with the love of my life at work, I would never have got to know her. I would never have got to fall in love with her and now eventually marry her. It's how we meet each other in yeah. the real world. Uh, another talking about, what about the, the old-fashioned, you know, um, kind of look across the room, crowded room, so there's no actual touching of each other, but there is an element of indication that perhaps mm. you are interested. Uh, isn't that still acceptable? It I, is. It is. Yeah, that's all fine. It's completely and, and, acceptable. Because let's not forget, sexual harassment has a very strict definition. It's basically persistent, unwanted, advances of a sexual nature that tend to create a hostile or offensive work environment. Yeah, but of course, we don't that. want to get near that. You know, we want to buffer between, because we want the workplace to be happy, not just completely offensive. And the first text is totally appropriate. You know, he met or she met or whatever it is, their, the love of their life in the workplace. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying you shouldn't do that. It's how you go about it. And and uh, as you were saying before, getting physical too early is not the way. Doing it in the workplace, you know, having physical contact in the workplace is not a good idea these days. Do it outside the workplace. Can I just throw in one more then? So what if a couple stay on beyond the 10pm finish at the um, work Christmas party? It's now midnight. They're both drinking. Are they still under work rules? Uh, not, not if you've told them in the rules that are set out that this party ends at 10 o'clock. Yep. And we'll provide a cab charge for groups so all everyone who lives yeah. in Narry Warren can have a can get in a cab and go right. to Narry Warren. But of course still human behaviour rules apply. I'm and not yeah, suggesting you can't any stop other people rules, going but... on to an after party. Right. That's their issue. And you should say that. Anything you do after that is your responsibility. This is Ritz and Cures. If you want to text in you can on zero four three seven 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 four seven seven four. Ritz and Cures with Lindy Burns. And my co-hosts this evening are Melbourne lawyer Bill O'Shea and Associate Professor Steve Ellen, psychiatrist at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. And tonight, though, our special guest is Melbourne barrister Tiffany Aikerman. She's an expert on the legal issues that can affect and annoy you if you live in an apartment. She's been a barrister since 2011, grew up in Tassie, but moved to Victoria in 2008 to take up a position as associate to the former Chief Justice of Victoria, Marilyn Warren. She has a Bachelor of Laws and a Bachelor of Science from the University of Tasmania and a Master of Laws from the ANU. Her practice at the bar focuses on matter relating to property, 
For example, building disputes, town planning, restrictive covenants and easements and owners' corporation disputes. And she also runs a blog called Owners' Corporations Law. If you search the phrase Owners' Corporations Law blog, you'll find her posts about all things Owners' Corporation. I'm very pleased to say that she's with you tonight to um, to help you if you uh, if you're in an apartment or perhaps have uh, a neighbour who's doing some interesting things in their apartment. Hi, Tiffany. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Lynn. Great what to is, be here. What's Owners' Corporation? What does that mean? Uh, owners' Corporations are body corporations, so they're the um, managers of common property within apartment develops, developments generally. Uh, you can also have commercial owners' corporations for commercial buildings. But really what the focus is in a lot of the work that I do is the residential apartment blocks and the owners' corporations that manage the owners' corporation common property. So, okay, what's the difference between... They said, so I've heard the term body corporate, which yes. is which is a is a bunch of the residents who help manage the building. You can tell I've never lived in an apartment block. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Sure. So uh, if you buy an apartment in an apartment building, you actually have a share in the common property. And all of the owners of lots within the development have shares in the common property. And then... uh, That's the stairwells, the elevator, garden. Garden areas, pools, whatever is the communal space. Uh, Also quite often the exterior of the building, so the, um, the um, outwards, out, outer skin of the building will be common property usually, and the uh, services, so a lot of the water pipes will be common property as well. Now, these things are going to break down and need maintenance, and so what happens is that at the time that the plan of subdivision is registered with the Registrar of Titles, uh, an owner's corporation is created, which is a legal entity um, tasked with looking after the common property. And every year, the Owners Corporation will have an AGM, an annual general meeting, and usually elect a committee of people, lot owners, who will be tasked with looking after the common property and making decisions within reason, within certain powers about what to do on the common property and how to manage it. So are there different types of owners' corporation going to be set up in different ways? Are there, um, like, is body corporate different or what, just another name for the same thing? I'm still confused. It's another name for the same right. thing. That's right. So yeah. the, it's not used the, anymore, is it? Since the Owners' Corporation Act, it's not... No one so it's just an old term for it. So what about my, my dad lives in four in a tiny little unit and there's four of them? And he is the owner's corporation. And once a year, he just has a little meeting and tells the others, oh, you owe us this much money for the gardening and yada, yada. Is that all? Is that just the same thing on a smaller scale? It is the same thing on a smaller scale. It's often in smaller apartment developments quite informal um, with neighbours just getting together and having a cup of tea and having a chat yeah. about how they're going to manage it. But you can imagine when there's 400 lots uh, that things become a little more complex. Mm. Now, when I bought my apartment, the agent said to me, it's lucky you're not buying the one down the road. And he pointed to it. He said, no Catholics there. What? Yeah. He said, what in the, when it was built, when they, the owners corporation or the body corporate, as it was then called, in the 1950s excluded Catholics. Yeah, serious. Yeah, no. Is that legal? Oh, you let her well, that's, what I'm, that's, where I'm, that's where I'm getting to. And he said, if you wanted to go to a Catholic one, he said, there's one further down 
closer to St Peter's Turak or Loretto that uh, would only, you know, accept... So that uh, is uh, still a requirement. Oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, it sounds like Where the do they get club. their power from, Tiffany? Can an owners corporation, for example, say no pets or no Catholics? Uh, in terms of um, those issues, I think the discrimination laws would take over, kick in, and um, there's going to be no rules excluding Catholics or, or people... Or pets? Um, well, pets is an interesting issue. Uh, I don't know of a case that's been decided right through to hearing in Victoria that's talked about any kind of rule made by an owner's corporation that bans pets. I know that some owner's corporations have had them. I don't know if any currently do. Uh, and there's a question based on the law in other jurisdictions. So we can look to New South Wales and, and other places to see how they have responded in the courts to rules made by owners' corporations or body corporates in other states. And um, it seems that it's possible that the rules banning pets altogether would be potentially found discriminatory and be invalid. But if the rule focused on the nuisance that the pet was creating, then that would be a valid rule. So um, rather than banning dogs altogether, if you focus on um, banning dogs um, digging up the common property or, or creating they can be some heard. other nuisance. Well, they can be heard outside their apartment. Mm, yep. Um, yeah. The problem with banning pets altogether, I suppose, is what do you do about goldfish? Should you mm. really be able to ban mm. people for having mm. goldfish? Or carpet snakes. But isn't the state government here, I don't know if they're in the, in the process of doing this or have already passed some legislation for people who rent properties to who want to who, to be allowed that that owners and and um and agents will not be allowed to say that pets are not allowed. Mm. That, has that passed through? I haven't seen that yet. I'm not up, actually up to date with that. I've I've seen it myself. Seen some reports about uh, that going through. I, I think it's on its way, but I couldn't. That'd be, be the Residential Tenancies Act, though, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, it yeah. Would. It's and not it's not associated with with owners within these apartment the, blocks. The so. building next to mine, um, you're not allowed to have a barbecue on your balcony. That's one of the rules. And another rule for one further down the road is that even though you've bought the apartment, you have to be interviewed by the owners' corporation and be found acceptable before you can, in fact, complete the sale. See, I would just institute the... Um Groucho Marx law that any uh, you know, I wouldn't want to live in that place. Exactly, no, I was about to say yeah. if if if, if Bill's done nothing else tonight except indicate to people that no one would want to live in the area and where he lives, then that's no, pretty not, much not my change. building. This is this is what you know. Some of the I mean, literally, you cannot have a barbecue next door on the balcony. I want to come back to the idea of of the the owners. Corp. Who can can they say? Okay, if you what if you Tiffany, own the apartment, but I rent it from you. So do I have any say in the owner's corp? I have nothing. But do I have to abide by the rules that they set? So there are um, provisions that mean that owners and occupiers have to abide by the rules that are set. There's a, a set of model rules in the regulations which apply um, unless some special rules have been made by the owner's corporation, and that's by a 75% special resolution. So there are quite a lot of owners' corporations with special rules even before they become occupied. So sometimes these special rules will be made at the first meeting of the owners' corporation, which is potentially before the new owners have even purchased. So when, when they're all still in the developer's hands, um, there are template-type rules that can be put in with modifications uh, at the first AGM. Then later they can be 
changed by special resolution. Um, the tenants are not members of the owners' corporation, so they don't get to attend and vote at the annual general meeting and they can't be uh, <coughs> committee members unless they hold a proxy from... From the actual oh, owner. owner, yeah. Okay. I had an interesting one, though, just on related to that. So I'm a renter in a big apartment complex, and uh, I got a letter in the mail saying that my drumming <laughs> was um, <laughs> causing lots of noise and was offensive to everyone. You should and know better, Steve. I have, and, and in my apartment, I have, a, a, you know, really electric drums. You can virtually not hear them if you're standing next to me. They are really just tap, tap, tap. So I found it hard to believe. Um, and anyway, so I went down and I said, and they just, they, you know, t- t- told the concierge and they just laughed and said, oh, you've got drums and you were making an outrageous noise. I said, I just don't believe it was me. And I said, can you please tell me if it happens again? And next weekend I get a phone call saying, you've got to stop drumming. And I live in South Bank. And so there was a band going on outside. I wasn't drumming. So I called the concierge, the manager up to my apartment and said, look, listen, I can hear the drums too. And and so I wrote a letter to the body corporate because they'd threatened to throw me out if I dro- if there was another complaint against me. And I said, can you please withdraw it because it's clearly not me. And uh, they wouldn't. They just ignored me. I had. It was like you know you're a tenant. Mm. Don't dare speak to us. Mm. And uh, <laughs> but then as it turned out, another time I was drumming. Um, they said they're complaining again. And so that time it was me. And it turned out that. Where I had the drums, it was just vibrating down through the windows. Right. And so in the end, though, I just did the sensible thing. I figured out which apartment was underneath me, and I put a letter in their letterbox saying, I'm so sorry to have caused you problems. Can you please call me? Da, da, da. And then I moved the drums to another room, and I've never had a complaint since. But the body corporate was treating me. Oh, I was just outraged. They wouldn't even answer my letter. They wouldn't withdraw, you know, because I was on threat of being thrown out over a time I wasn't even drumming. Well, can we just talk about powers of owners' <laughs> Bill doesn't like my example. No, no, no. no it's a good example. What you're talking about is the power of the owners' corporation right. and the fact that they, mis- in your case, uh, were unfair to you, right? And, yeah. and could have thrown you out for no good reason mm-hmm. and argue we had the power to do that. Uh, in my building, you can't have a hardwood floor and they enforce the rule because if you're walking around on heels, uh, if you're a woman, it, it drums and annoys the people below. Yeah. And not only people, women wear and high heels. No, no. Well, men tend not to cause the problem, though. To be, or little kids dropping toys on hardwood floors are mm. also bad. Um, but some would say that's unfair because hardwood floors are quite fashionable now. So, mm. so what sort of power do they have to do that, for example? Now, let's get down to the nub of it. Can I... Can they uh, have have the power to restrict me subletting my apartment for less than a month? Hang on a second. You've just jumped to a second thing. (laughs) That's That's such a Bill thing to do. So let's go back to the first question that Bill talked about. How much power can they have? Can they say, you can't decorate your house in this way? Yeah, where's that power? So the interesting thing about owners' corporations is that a lot of these things aren't um, specifically stated. So the best advice that you can get very often is, uh, I think it will go this way. And um, in a situation like that, um, they might have the power because it's focusing on the nuisance, but it's really going to be the way that the rule is worded uh, so that it focuses on the nuisance coming from the heels, be they men or women's heels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Human the heels, we'll be back. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's going to be about the way the rule's worded and, um, and a factually specific. So do you think the, um, the issue of nuisance is the best way to deal with these complaints in owners' corporation situations rather than trying to have a, a rule that's arbitrary? 
that you you found it in nuisance? Uh, yeah. So the owners' corporation can pass a rule, but it might not be valid. And if it's ever challenged, then it might be found to be invalid. Why would it be invalid? Uh, if it's restrictive in terms of being discriminatory because it banned Catholics, so um, for example. Um, so it can be passed as a rule and get a 75% um, resolution and become a rule of the owners' corporation, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily valid and it may not survive its first challenge. It'd be interesting to see when some of these things would be challenged about how, because it would, it would be a, a sort of a gutsy move as well by one of the owners well, to say, I'm going to challenge that now. Because you, you want to foster some kind of neighbourly relationship yeah. at the same time. Uh, yeah, and at the same time you don't want to be discriminated against. So exactly. It, 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 there have been cases, not um, n- not necessarily about all of the issues. Though. But what I'm about re- the root of their power? Isn't the root of their power the Act? The root of their power is the Act. And in, in fact, um, in the regulations there are heads of power, a bit like in the Constitution where we have heads of power for the Commonwealth and so the Commonwealth can make rules and laws about those heads of power, so the external affairs power, for example. Uh, And so there are heads of power in the regulations that give (coughs) the owners' corporation the power to make rules about about, uh, the external appearance of lots. So that might be something that the barbecues on a balcony... Um, would be valid under. So you've got to connect the rule to a head of power, really, and and sometimes you won't know it's valid until we go to VCAT and find out. VCAT, (laughs) they're there again doing their thing. Uh, Greg has said an interesting text um, saying, what about people who rent your place or indeed if you want to rent out your place on something like Airbnb or on stays.com? What what are, what sort of things can you and can you not do under those circumstances? Because we're, this is a, this is a really topical issue, and it, is. it isn't just about apartments, but it's also about homes. But that's probably a conversation for another night mm. uh, about freestanding homes. But but in an apartment, you know, because the renters, you would hope, would have would want to try and foster some kind of relationship uh, with the people who they are going to be living next to for a period of time. But if you're there for a weekend or for a week at the most and you're kind of in town to party, then, you know, this is happening more and more. What sort of... What sort of power does the does the body corp have over the the owner in those circumstances? Well, uh, yeah, it's a really topical issue and it's something that's come to the fore in the last few years. As is often the case, the laws are catching up with the technology. It's happening in so many areas. Um, in 2014, the City of Melbourne uh, took the operator of an Airbnb um, Apartment group of apartments, the owner of 11 apartments who was operating them as Airbnb apartments, uh, to the Building Appeals Board to try and use the building notices provisions um, to improve the fire safety uh, in those apartments, and that didn't succeed. So then in the same apartment block, the Owners' Corporation uh, the next year took the operator to VCAT to say that they couldn't operate um, these Airbnb properties because there was actually a rule of the owners' corporation that prevented short-term stays less than 30 days. Now, it went all the way to the Supreme Court, that one, and that's the leading case on the validity of rules and those issues that I was talking about earlier, which uh, relate to the power of the owners' corporation to make rules. So 
at the moment. And the conclusion? What was the conclusion when it went to the Supreme Court? At the moment, because of that case, we know that... Oh, sorry. Um, yep. <laughs> we know that... Uh, the owners corporation can't just put a ban on short-term stays because that's telling private lot owners what they can do within their own lots rather than the focusing on what is the owners corporation's main function, which is to manage uh, common property. So the state government has stepped in. There was a an independent panel on short-term stays set up in uh, early 2015 and there's now actually a bill that's going through Parliament. It's been through the lower house. It's currently in the upper house and it's been to committee and the committee of the upper house has made recommendations for changes. But this bill is called the Owners Corporation Amendment Short Stay Accommodation Bill of 2016. And um, it is interesting because it doesn't take a 30-day approach to short-term stays. It, it defines short-term stays as um, stays of six nights and or less. So it, it's uh, not going to be applicable where you're renting it for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what's it looking to do to, to prevent that from being allowed in certain buildings? No, it, it's not looking to ban it altogether because there is this tension between the economic benefits of Airbnb in the state and the um, benefits to, you know, not just to the Airbnb operator but to the local businesses and and um, to the availability of of rooms for visitors to come and stay. So there's a tension between banning it altogether. I mean, it's a bit like not banning Uber, um, but trying to Regulating find a balance it, yeah. mm-hmm. between, um, yep, yeah, to regulate it. Uh, so what the Act is, well, what the Bill's trying to do is to provide for compensation to people who are affected. So if your amenity is affected, you would be able to apply for compensation orders made against the owner or the short-term stay occupier. Now, the occupier is going to be very difficult to find because they might only be there for one or two nights. Mm -hmm. So um, they've made the owners and the occupiers jointly and severally liable, which means that the lot owner is going to be responsible for those compensation orders. They have a defence. They have a defence. If they've tried to remonstrate with a noisy uh, um, um, user, they, you know, if they can get off. I mean, they, they, I, I've read it. I don't think it's particularly practical. This is not... I think it's a bit of a... Uh, you don't have to comment on this, but it's, I think it's a bit of a Clayton's law. I don't, you know, it really doesn't do much at all. Um, yeah, go for joint and several compensation and you go off to VCAT. And I guess... And I can... One thing that um, uh, uh, Tiffany is about to mention, I'm sure, is that you can be blacklisted if you've got three strikes. You know, if you're, you're a property that's had three examples, is that right, in a certain that's period? Right. So if you're a lot owner and you've had three breach notices, then there's an order can be made banning that lot for a specified period of time. Mm. From what? From being run as an Airbnb. So it might be, you know, you've got a two-month ban on on having Airbnb stays there. It's a bit of a slap on the wrist, though, isn't but, it? Really? And how do you enforce it? And, you know, how do you what chase about, it? Though, and... Presumably the Airbnb is going to use all the facilities more. So they're going to use the pool more or the stairs more or the lifts more because there's people coming in and out. They've got suitcases. They're going to contribute. And all those things are shared property. So the poor old owner who's just using it for themselves instead of having people coming in and out are paying for some the extra load on the common property. There's an argument in there that they should pay a higher owners' corporation fee if they're letting it as Airbnb? 
Well, and because it's a commercial use, possibly. Yep. I think the difficulty with that, with that is you can recover compensation from particular lot owners for particular damage. But how do you say overall, we're going to calculate what the overall damage is from wear and tear over last year when you had 35 different people staying here? It's really difficult to mm. calculate that. Mm. Can I ask just one other quick question? I read this really interesting article um, in the conversation from an engineering um, academic about how concrete doesn't last nearly as long as we originally thought, probably 50 to 70 years, because we now use steel-reinforced concrete that actually rots. It was originally thought that it was going to last forever. It doesn't. And then the other day I was riding my bike down St Kilda Road and I saw a number of those like 60-year-old apartment blocks where there's about 100 apartments. They look semi-derelict. If you ride down, you'll see. There's a whole lot of beautiful new ones. But they've obviously got about 200 people living in them. Clearly, it's going to cost millions to renovate them. How does the body corporate decide if we're going to pull this down and what are they going to do? Does everyone have to agree? How do you decide what to do? Well, what happens if a developer turns up and says, I'll give you each you know, um, 500,000 if you go away. And, and there's going to be more and more of this because, yeah, you know, we've been building apartments for about 50, 60 years now and so a whole lot, a lot of them are going to reach the end of their safe area. Yeah, you're right, Steve. Um, it's a policy issue that's really rearing its head at the moment because if you think about the, the walk-up flats that were built between the 50s and 70s in places like Toorak, Hawthorne, um, there's ones in Brunswick, they're, they're all over and uh, if you think about the way that they use the land, they're often... Uh, very few apartments on a large lot with an at-grade car park um, and and they don't necessarily utilise the land in a way that um, the planning system thinks it should be utilised these days. So, But what if the 90-year-old in flat two says, I'm not selling to anyone? Well, at the moment to... Um, to bring about that sale, it requires a unanimous resolution of the owners' corporation. And if you can't get one, um, the owners' corporation can apply to VCAT. And there are some parameters around what they need to do. But not in New South Wales. This is the key, This is the key. Yeah, well, no. no. What number do you need in New South Wales? Uh, New South Wales, the law changed last year so that only a 75% resolution is required, but it still needs to go through the Land and Environment Court for approval. So, so there's still some... There's still some oversight. Some, yeah, but less. less. <laughs> God love you, New South Wales. <laughs> uh, being a New South Welshman in this conversation always makes me happy. Not really. Um, there's quite a number of texts. I just want to finish up by, um, by saying this one. My body corporate bans drying washing on the balcony, mm-hmm. offers no alternative place to dry laundry, and took four years to make the block secure following monthly break-ins but can send me snotty letters about my washing. I'm a renter, I've never seen the rules and no rights or say, grrr. Yeah, that's pretty much sums it up. Is it, is it putting it on the balcony or making it visible for, to passers-by on the balcony? Well, it depends where your balcony is, mm. doesn't it? I mean, mm. what, what's, balconies in these places are usually pretty tiny as well. Mm. That's been interesting. It's made me glad that I live in a house, just quietly, but that's just me saying that. 14% of Australians live in apartments. I just looked it up while we were talking. How yeah. many drummers live in houses? I think they all should move they to should houses. Drummers live in <laughs> they apartments unless they, they have electric drums. Well, one of the things I think is interesting is w- should we expect the same level of uh, noise mm. and things like that from a neighbour in an apartment complex when those issues can happen with houses as well? They really can. Thanks for coming in. Thank really you. interesting area great. that you work in. Melbourne barrister Tiffany Ackerman, a, uh, an expert on the legal issues that can affect and annoy you if you live in an apartment. Bill, nice to see you back. Thanks, Lindy. Melbourne lawyer Bill O'Shea and psychiatrist Steve Allen, thank you. Thank you, Lindy. This has been Ritz and Cures.